0: We're going to jump into our Corinthians uh, lesson today. And so if you have your, you have your um, scripture journals, or if you've got your Bible, or you want to open up an app, do that. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to do some straight up teaching this morning. And we're going to talk about something that we do in this church every single week. Now, you've often heard preachers say, we need to practice what we preach. Today, I'm going to preach what we practice, okay? We're going to talk about this idea called the Lord's Supper, and I'm going to begin just by saying, have you noticed the important role that it seems that we all have with food and meals when it comes to significant memories in our life? Most of our celebrations, most of our events that we want to mark something with, we have a meal. Now, it may be a very major one. We, we tend to think of Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, it could be a birthday meal. Uh, I remember one of the practices in my house was always mom asked me what I wanted uh, to eat, you know, for my birthday. And so that was a choice that, that we get to make, and that made it special. And there's all this Idea and all this nostalgia and all these emotions wrapped around meal and eating together. And so it's no surprise that when we get to this portion of Corinthians, that Paul's going to at least talk about this meal that the church has been participating in. Now, you may know this meal by different names. Here's some of the common names, it's called it, often it's referred to as the Lord's Supper. And you may not be familiar with what it is yet. You may be new to our church, or you may be joining us online for the first time. And this is not a practice that's been a part of you, of your church experience or your spiritual journey growing up. Well, we're going to talk about today. You may know it more commonly by its name as communion. Uh, That's an idea that we're going to talk about a little bit later, but this idea of coming together and communing with one another. It also goes by the name Eucharist, which is a meaning for thanksgiving. And you'll also hear it throughout Scripture in the New Testament, referred to as breaking bread. We're going to break bread together, and you'll see how all those plays into it. But this is something that we practice every single week. Now, how we practice it looks a little strange from what I'm about to teach you, and what we're about to go in Scripture, but we'll talk about that. But it's coming together as the church. And so Paul is about to address, the, in chapter 11, is about to address their partaking of this meal together. And what I want to do is I want to give you a quick outline of the verses, because we're going to be in the verses that Gabriel just read, but we're also going to be in the ones around it. Okay. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to begin in verse 17. And so if you want to kind of make notes out in the margin, that's what we've got the journals for. We're going to talk about the problem, the practice, and the participation in it. And this is how Paul writes this section. So if you want to make notes right next to it, the problem, the practice, and the participation. Now remember, Corinthians is a letter that Paul writes after he hears about some things that are going on back in Corinth. He hears some things both in a letter that they wrote, and if you remember early in the book, some people from the house of Chloe has come. They've traveled to where Paul is, and they said, hey, here's some of the things going on. And so he writes this letter back. Now, Paul loves the people at this church. And you can only imagine that when they receive the letter... Kind of word went. Hey, Paul wrote us. You know, let's get everybody together. Every, nobody missed this coming Sunday because we're going to read together the letter of Paul. In fact, we're gonna we're not going to read it ourselves. So we're all we all get to experience it at the same time because Paul's written us a letter. Can you imagine be bopping into the church that day, and then they say, Paul wrote us a letter. Now they would have read the letter all in one sitting, so they've already gone through some parts that would have made them squirm, okay? They've already been some starts. because how do I know that? Because you squirmed when we got to them, okay? So there's, and it's not even directly to us, but now they're going to get to this section, and if they weren't squirming just yet, just put yourself in church that day, And you're sitting there, and this letter from Paul is being read, and we get to verse 17 of chapter 11. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Everybody in the church, they took a big gulp. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Can you imagine how stinging this was to hear these words? For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What kind of church is this? What? Do you not have houses to eat or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Go and be well fed. Peace be with you. Grace and peace. The problem. There is a serious problem. Now... On the outside, to us, it may look just like they don't have the right table manners. But for Paul, this is a serious, serious problem. And what's going on is their worship would have been different than ours. And a meal would have been a part of it. In fact, A full meal would have been a part of it. And understand, in that society... Everybody did not arrive at church at the same time. Now, we don't do that still today, but everybody would have, all day long, they would have been arriving. And this meal would have been served. Well, if you're in a society where there's one group of people that are wealthy and they don't have to work, and everybody else is not wealthy and they have to work, And you don't have a system where you work five days a week and then there's a weekend and you get Sundays off. You worked seven days a week. And so what's going on is that those that had the means were showing up at the church. They were arriving for this day of, of doing church together, of which a meal was a part. Those that were less fortunate, those that had to work... They did not get off until the evening. And so they're showing up later. And do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying that you're going ahead and starting the meal before the whole church is gathered. And so those that are well-to-do, they're showing up. They're filling their plates. It's the best cuts of meat. It's the choice potatoes. It's the best drink that's, that's available. And they're enjoying the party so much... That they're getting drunk at church by the time that those that could use a good meal are even able to arrive. And so, not only do you have people that are not even aware of their existence, all the best stuff's been eaten up. And so Paul says, because of that, it's clear that there's divisions among you. Now, I want you to even look at this one line that he has in there. Um, uh, verse, uh, verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together to church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. And verse 19. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now, what does that mean? I'll give you my best shot at it, and it helps you if you remember that Paul often uses what would we would call the spiritual gift of sarcasm when he preaches and when he talks. Okay. He's saying, I believe there are divisions among you because how else could you know that some people stand out amongst the rest? And if you remember, all the way back to the beginning of the letter, he talked about how easy it was to become puffed up by your knowledge, puffed up by your position. He's saying some of you really like this fact that you get to show up early. It shows what a big dog in the church you are, and you're enjoying that at the cost and the expense of the rest of the church. For Paul, this is a problem. Paul cannot tolerate the fact that there are divisions in the church. So he's going to address it. So now he gives us the practice. And he's going to go back into the tradition of why we even celebrate this meal together. So in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. Now what he's doing is he's about to reflect back. Paul was not present at the institution of the Lord's Supper. He was not present on that first night. But what he is saying is that Jesus has given me this information. Paul has had a face to face encounter with Jesus, and he understands that somehow through the power of the Spirit, what was said and what was done that night. And if you want to jump back into, like, Luke chapter 22 gives us that account. And so here's what Paul is saying. So he's, he's giving the report of what happened that very first night. When he took bread, Lord Jesus on that night when he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks for it, he broke and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in the remembrance of me. In the same way, he also he took the cup after supper. This is the new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, pause just a second. Remember the context of this. The very first time Jesus did this was at a meal. Meals mark important occasions. This particular meal is the important occasion of what's known as Passover. It is still one of the greatest feasts or the highest holidays that shows up in the Jewish religion. And what Passover did is is it was a remembrance of and a participation in what God did Thousands of years earlier when the Hebrew, the Israelite people, were slaves in Egypt. And even to this day, if you, if you participate in a Jewish Passover experience, the language that you hear is when we were slaves. Not when my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was a slave. Because there's this idea of that ties into us. That is us. What happened to them happened to us, and it's a very real presence. And so they were slaves. Moses comes along, and he's got orders from God to say, it's time for my people to be free. And so he addresses Pharaoh and says, you need to let the Hebrew slaves go. Pharaoh doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He's building an empire on their backs. You don't give up your empire too easily. And so what, be, what takes place there in the early books of the Old Testament is a battle between the powers of Egypt and the power of God. And they go through what's known as the ten plagues. And each plague is designed to address a particular deity that was worshipped in Egypt. And they just keep increasing and increasing until you get to the tenth one. And then the tenth one, something unique happens. The word goes out from God... That everybody in the country, both Israel and, or Hebrew and Egyptian, that what you should do is you should take a lamb and you should sacrifice this lamb. And then you need to prepare it quickly because you're going to need to be able to, ready to move on this journey for this escape that's about to happen. But when you sacrifice that lamb, you take blood. And you wipe it on the doorpost, up the sides and across the top. Because God says he's going to send an angel of death. And the firstborn of any household, the firstborn of any group of livestock across the nation will die. With the senior exception of the households that are under the blood of the Lamb. And that night, there was grief across the land, except in the Hebrew families. Because they were spared because the angel passed over them. And at that moment, Pharaoh throws up his hands and says, get out of here. Because he knows he's beat. And that meal That Passover meal they prepared that first night, that was practiced and rehearsed again and again, generation after generation after generation. And now Jesus gathers with his disciples just hours before his crucifixion. And he celebrates the Passover meal. And then he does something incredible, something that we would probably consider offensive if we'd been sitting at the table. He takes this meal that had always meant the same thing every time they'd come together. It always meant what God had done, what God had done, what God had done, and that means he's going to do that for us. And now suddenly he says, he holds up one of the cups. He holds up the bread, takes it in his hand, and he says, this is me. This is my body. This is my blood. And we are so used to that language that we lose how edgy that is. And the fact that what he's doing is he's saying, I'm the point of the story. I mean, I I don't even know how to get close to make us feel the same way. But it would be kind of like on the 4th of July with all the fireworks going off, you stand up and say, thank you everybody for celebrating me. I really appreciate the firework display. But that's not even, that wouldn't even be offensive. We would just think you're crazy. But what he's doing is saying, I'm the, every time you've practiced this meal, you didn't know about it, but you need to know that I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I'm the one. And they don't have it, that very moment, they didn't understand it. They were still confused. But they were going to quickly learn that it was his blood that we were going to come under and be protected by. That's why he finishes out. Paul, once again, back in 1 Corinthians, says this. Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's the practice. What Paul is saying, I mean, what Jesus was saying is that I'm reinterpreting this whole meal. The whole meal is about me now. And so every time you participate in this meal, every time you join in this meal, you're proclaiming something. And so what I want you to understand is that every time communion is shared, every time communion is shared, the gospel is preached once again. This is why we do it every single week. Because every time we come back together, we remind ourselves and each other that Jesus sacrificed his body for me and for you. Every time we come together and we share the cup, we remember that his blood is what cleanses me. His blood is what saves me. His blood is what saves you. We do not come to the meal because we've earned a seat at the table. That's Paul's problem in Corinth. We come because it is our hope. And it is the gospel message being lived out once again that when we come around this table, when we come around as a body of Christ, That the gospel, the good news, is being proclaimed once again. That's what Paul is telling them. And he says, the way that you're participating in Corinth, you're not proclaiming good news. You're holding up old divisions. You're holding up old, old separations that Jesus came to take down. You're not showing or demonstrating the good news anymore. That's why he's so offended. So let's end up this way. Here's the participation. He's going to give us a new way to participate in this. And this is why it's so important to him. Verse 27 Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged by ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Okay, pause just for a second. Growing up, these verses scared me to death. Now, this is where perhaps if you grew up in some of the churches like I grew up, you would get up and there would be this moment for communion, and you would all, you'd be encouraged now, to reflect, and that's not a bad thing, but make sure that you're worthy to take the communion. And what you were supposed to do is you were supposed to go through your mental memory and make sure that there wasn't some sin that you had committed that you hadn't asked God forgiveness for. Does anybody else relate to this? And so the problem was I would sit there, I mean, through the eyes of a young boy, okay, can't miss one, because if I drink, that's like condemnation. I don't know how it all works, but I think hell gets involved real quick. And so now I'm focused, you know as a scatterbrained, you know, pre-adolescent boy sitting there trying to get it all right. And then my brother kicks the seat next to me and distracts me. I'm thinking, great, now I'm condemned. That's not what Paul's talking about here. When he says you're taking it in an unworthy manner, he's talking about the fact that you're allowing the divisions that the gospel came to take apart to still exist. And in the very manner of you're taking it, because some are taking early, you're getting full. You're excluding others because there's a class system that takes place out in the world. And you're allowing the class system to live and thrive inside the church that's an unworthy manner because the gospel's not being proclaimed and Paul will not allow the gospel to be silenced. And so what's incredible is Paul's got a fix for this. Paul's got a way to put this back together. And I want to show that to you right now. Look, look at what he says. And this is almost, this is almost oversimplifying. It seems so simple, that, but it's so critical for Paul. Look at what he says. Verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, what's it say? Wait for one another. You need to circle that. That's Paul's solution. Unfortunately, somewhere along the way, we turned the Lord's Supper of the Communion into a very individualistic, that it's just between me. And God. And all Paul is saying is goes, I'm not happy with what I'm hearing when you take the Lord's Supper. I'm glad you're taking it every week, but we got a problem. You're not proclaiming the gospel when you do that way. Well, Paul, what's the fix? Wait for one another. What do you need to do? You need to consider somebody else besides yourself. Paul has this unbelievably simple. Idea, And what he's trying to convey is this, how we participate in the Lord's Supper proclaims what we believe about the gospel. How we participate in the Lord's Supper proclaims what we believe about the gospel. Will we let divisions be among us? This is one of the reasons that as we talk about the vision that we have for this church over the next five years, that one of our components is that we are a diverse church because a diverse church proclaims the gospel. It says that the gospel is bigger, more powerful than anything that can divide us. And what Paul is speaking into this church in Corinth, and if you think we have class issues today... If you think we have racial issues today, it is nothing like what Paul was facing in Corinth. The whole society was based on these very regimented class systems, and you didn't move up and down real easily. He's saying, but when you come into the church, it has no place. And so we're going to be a diverse church. And so every time we get more diverse racially, socially, economically, through age, we proclaim the gospel more and more because we're saying the gospel is bigger than this. This is what God is calling us to. I, some of you call it, if you think about it, we call it communion. And I want to think about that word just for a second. I realize that's an English word. And so um, but communion, if you think about that, it's got a lot of of meaning in that word. So, first of all, we're coming together. We're going to commune. Now, there is a communion with God, but we're going to commune with each other. There's also the word, we get community. It's an all together. We're in this together type. And so, I have to at least be aware and aware and conscious of you and what's going on in your world if we're actually going to do this together. It's not just a vertical, but it's also a horizontal experience. We would never come to a meal together. You know, I invite you over to my house. Hey, I want you to come eat with us. We've set out a great table. And then we sit down, and the food's served, and then you say, Hey, thanks for inviting me. And I look at it and I go, shh. And we go through the whole meal in silence, right? Because there is this community, communal element. And the last thing I just want to talk about is it's so common. Have you noticed how simple the elements are? It's bread and wine. Or just to be practical, it's crackers and juice. And there's nothing magical and special in that. It is something common. It's bread that would have been on every single table. It's wine that would have been on every single table. Available to all. And coming together on the common ground that Jesus is the one that brings us together. And for Paul, the divisions cannot stand. I I, I read about a... Two farmers in Alberta, Canada, and supposedly you can still go see this, Paul and Oscar, and their lands butted up to each other. Oscar wanted to run cattle on his land, so he reaches out to Paul and says, Paul, let's build a fence together so I can run cattle on my land. Paul says, your idea, you build the fence. I'm not helping. Okay, so Oscar does. Oscar builds the fence, and then Paul decides he's going to run cattle on his land. And so, when Oscar looks over and sees Paul with cattle, Oscar tells Paul, says, hey, I see you got cattle. He goes, yeah, now that we have a fence up, I'm going to run my cattle. He says, what do you mean we? That's my fence. He says, I built it two feet inside my property line. If your cattle... Or up next to my fence, they're on my property. I'll shoot them. So what does Paul do? Paul builds another fence two feet away. So for a half mile in Alberta, Canada, two fences run side by side. We are so better at building walls and fences and divisions than taking them down, right? That's why it is a supernatural, Holy Spirit-powered event when we come together and we share in the supper and the walls come down. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And so here's the last thing that I want to challenge you with. And I think we've all got to remember this one. Remember, it's the Lord's Supper. It's not your Supper. We are all guests at the table, and Jesus is the host. That's the power of it. So what that means is, I don't get to pick the seating chart, and I don't get to pick the invitation list, because Jesus is the one that's inviting all and he's inviting a wide diverse group and he's not inviting only people that are church people he's not inviting only people that can afford a certain kind of clothes or can afford a certain kind of lifestyle he's inviting all who would say I'm hungry for what you have to offer I've shared it before but Love the story. It's a true story. 1990, there was a bride in Boston. Her and her fiancé came together. And they planned a lavish wedding and reception. And so they go down to the Hyatt Regency in Boston, and they put down all the deposit and all the money for an incredible banquet. And if, I, if the article's true, it's $35,000 that they were investing in this. And it was going to be quite the affair. And that's going to take, there's going to be tuxedoed waiters. And champagne was going to flow. And it was going to be the best food that the Boston Hyatt had to offer. About a week before the ceremony, the groom gets cold feet. And he's gone, he's out. The distraught bride goes back down to the Boston Hyatt and pleads her case. And they say, I'm sorry. But we've already purchased the food. Our refund policy is this. You can get a small fraction back or you can have the banquet. This bride decides to have the banquet. And what she does is she sends word to homeless shelters, rehab clinics, people on the street that there is going to be a feast and you're invited so the big day comes, and people pushing shopping carts, carrying bedrolls, people that had not had a chance to shower are walking into the Hyatt, and they're being greeted by waiters and tuxedos, and they're being escorted to seats. They say, this is your seat. Sit here. She made one change. She changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. <laughs> and that night, a feast for the least likely people to be invited to a feast came and they celebrated together. And there was no divisions and they were all grateful for the grace that they had received. That's a mental picture of what we do every single week as we share. That's what we're experiencing today.